Thank you for joining us in Season 2 of the Religion Podcast, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. All right. <laughs> Joel Tolbert, reverend, friend. How about it? Are you still a rabbi? I, I am. I am. Are, are, are you still uh, uh, reverend? Some call me that, yes. Um, whether I am or not, I, I, it is yet to be known for sure. But some do call me that. It has been a while or, or a minute, as the kids say. A, a month even, yes. Uh, more, quite a few minutes. It, it feels like longer. <laughs> I don't know. It, you know, normally time goes the other way, but it, it definitely feels like a, like it's been a while. Right. And while we've had plenty to do here in, in Maryland, y'all have had some real special times there. Um, what yes. what in the world have you been doing? So uh, we went through our high holiday season. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, what the, the closest parallel I could think of is is if, if Christmas and Easter were one week apart from each other <laughs> it is and I I imagine the same kinds of preparation in terms of music and liturgy and congregational honors um, the the difficulty for us this year was that that because of those few moments few months when we were in a little bit of limbo, thinking that COVID was quote unquote done, you know, we had made plans for one thing. And then of course, you know, we plan God laughs and we had the protocols and procedures for almost everything that we were thinking of doing uh, went out the window, but went out the window with not a lot of time to plan. So Two years ago, and I know I'm engaging in a little poor me, poor congregation right now, but I'm, I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> uh, two years ago when COVID started, you know, in April, we knew that we were going to be all virtual. I mean, we knew that. And so it, I, I don't want to say it was easy, but we had that time to prepare. And this year, as late as June, we thought that we would all be back in the sanctuary. And so... Uh, it, it required the choir to practice differently, to film videos instead of singing in the sanctuary. We had to do a hybrid model of services, which for the most important services of the year is, is difficult. Not just technically, it is difficult technically, but spiritually to get people feeling connected and, and whatnot. But that's not what we want to talk about. I am great. My son is great. My wife is great. Life is great. We're in another holiday right now of Sukkot where we are meant to celebrate God's blessings in every direction, both uh, literally and metaphorically. And let's talk about some fun stuff. (laughs) Yes, let's. So what are the, the big holidays or holiday seasons in your tradition? When do they fall? And what is the the primary text and purposes behind it, each one? And then, which ones did you just go through? That's that's a lot of episodes of conversation there, Joel. I could I, I, I could I've given you a hard time. So really, the 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 fall 
season, so to speak, it contains our biggest holidays. So the, the, the first is Rosh Hashanah, which means literally the beginning of the year or head of the new head of the year. And so it's the Jewish uh, version of New Year's, but completely different, of course, than January 1st. One, one major similarity, though, is the seriousness with which we make intentions to do better and be better. Um, so, you know, just like people try and do that on New Year's, go to a gym, eat better, be nicer to my spouse, whatever. Um, that is something we take very seriously on, on the high holidays. And when I say high holidays, that's Rosh Hashanah and then 10 days later, Yom Kippur. And Rosh Hashanah celebrates the creation of the world, which, of course, we are a big part of, we as human beings. And Yom Kippur is the most solemn day of the year. In fact, it, it, as I said in one of my sermons, it is in many ways a rehearsal for our own deaths. We fast, we confess, there's lots of public, not privately, um, sorry, there is a private confession, but you don't literally say all the things you've done wrong. It's fixed liturgy. Um, but you're certainly meant to think on all the things you've done wrong and how you'll improve and, and all of those sorts of things. Um, at various points during Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we blow the shofar, the ram's horn. Um, during Rosh Hashanah, the Torah portion that's read is Abraham's attempted sacrifice of Isaac, which you know, we've talked about. And Only a few uh, times. For anyone that knows, yeah, only a few times. Uh, for those that know the story, um, in, when the angel screams to Abraham not to sacrifice his son, he looks up and he sees a ram and he sacrifices the ram in Isaac's stead. The shofar is made from a ram's horn. And so there, there's a connection to the themes of the high holidays there. And the shofar is meant, the way I always explain it to kids, although it works for adults too, is it is a spiritual alarm clock. Sure, the sound is piercing and loud and it will jolt you, but it's meant to spiritually jolt us from our apathy, from our inaction, um, and from difficult things that we should be doing. Um, to turn your attention from your own son on the altar to the ram caught in the thicket. Exactly. Now that, that that's a general overview, the month before Rosh Hashanah is its own special time. It's, it's For those that want bonus points, it's the month of Tishrei. I'm sorry, that's not correct. Tishrei is uh, Rosh Hashanah, is the first of the year, the first of Tishrei. The month before that is the month of Elul. There are 28 or 29 days in the month, and each of those days are meant as, a, as almost like a spiritual warm-up to the high holidays. So that, you know, just like a football player doesn't just jump on the field ready to play, we... Um, go through this period where we're meant to do intense introspection. The Hebrew word tshuva I may have used in conversation with you before of turning to do better, of being better. Um, and I'm a part of a group of about 15 rabbis from all over America that every year prepare a daily email with an Elul reading. And so, you know, 15 rabbis, almost 30 days. So each of us kind of write, write two of these in, in the early months of summer. 
And then w- one person, uh, my good friend Rabbi David Young, puts them all together into a Google Doc. And then thousands of congregants get these 30 daily emails. And again, that's meant to help usher in the season. Um, a few other things I'll say, and then uh, you always ask good questions that make me think. So uh, <laughs> I hope you have some handy. Is on one other, um, I wouldn't call it a ritual, more of a custom on Rosh Hashanah, is to eat apples dipped in honey. And the idea is that we enter into a sweet new year, uh, Shana Mituka, sweet year. And so often at family dinners or if it wasn't COVID following the service, we would, you know, we would have it for congregants serving apples and honey. Um, I mentioned the shofar and then Yom Yom Kippur is intense. I mean, services were shorter this year because of COVID and the Zoom nature of services. But um, typically Yom Kippur is about, I would say, between six and eight hours of prayer during the day, not necessarily consecutive, but there's a morning service and then an afternoon service and that goes through sunset. Um, But the idea is, we say over and over again, on Rosh Hashanah, it is written on Yom Kippur, it is sealed. And there's this idea, which not many of us, and by us, I mean Reformed Jews, take literally, but certainly take seriously, the idea that God is almost like Santa Claus, in that God either inscribes us or does not inscribe us in the Book of Life. And the thought is that on Rosh Hashanah, the gates of repentance so that we can act to change God's mind, those gates are wide open. And at the end of the Yom Kippur service, they are shut. And so the thought is that during these 10 days, our actions really matter. Um, There's also a very intense prayer called Unatana Tokef, in which we talk about God decides who shall live and who shall die. And, and it goes into kind of some specifics, who by old age and who not, who by stoning and who by drowning, um, who by hatred and who, you know, who will be, who will have a long life. And so there, there's really some intense, and I know I've used that word a lot, uh, thought with regard, with regard to mortality, um, our priorities in life, those sorts of things. And what are the the scriptural bases behind this? Where did the visions of these festivals, these holidays, these moments um, first occur, and how were they transmitted through scripture to some priestly ritual, which became what you do today? Yeah, like most of our other holidays, it's it's been uh, an evolving process. So the Torah does mention Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, but it, only in as much as uh, no work shall be done on those days or ram's horn shall be blown. Um, the idea of affliction on Yom Kippur is mentioned, and that's where we get the fasting from. But in terms of the specificities of the liturgy and the songs – that was constructed through the rabbinic period much, much later, similar to Passover. You know, Passover is, of course, a story in the, or it's based off of a story in the Torah. And the holiday itself of Pesach is mentioned in the Torah. But what we do at a Seder, very little of that, if any, is specified 
in the in the Torah itself. That all that all came later. So uh, that's I guess two of the high holidays. That's um, the the prep season the month before, the ten days in the new year, and Yom Kippur, the sealing of the entry into the new year. What are the other high holidays throughout a regular calendar year, and when do they fall? Sure. So, well, going forward a few days after Yom Kippur, it, it, they really don't stop. Uh, we have this holiday, and we're in it right now. It lasts one week. It's called Sukkot. Sukkot. Um, some non-Jews know it from Bible study as the Festival of the Booths. Yeah, I don't know if that uh, – I see or you tents, nodding your head. yes. I, I, I also see, as we're on video, that my shirt is inside out, which shows how uh, how flagagled I am, to use a Yiddish word. Um, I'll change it before dinner tonight. So Sukkot, as I said at the earlier, recognizes God's blessings everywhere. And so it is considered part of the high holiday season because the idea is that we exit out of Yom Kippur kind of into life, into energy, into blessing. And so lots of people in their homes or in their synagogues, ourselves included, build a sukkah, which is a temporary dwelling. Um, there are, like like in other, many other things regarding Judaism, there are very specific rules with regard to how it can be built and how it can't be built. One rule that everybody follows regardless of observance level is you have to be able to see outside. It has to be porous. So, it, you know, it can't be something concrete with a ceiling. And one of the thoughts is that you feel nature. And by feeling nature, that is also a part of feeling God's blessing in every direction. And mm-hmm. w- one of the one of the really interesting things about Sukkot is there's a physicality to it in that um, Jews are, quote unquote, commanded, as in it's a mitzvah, to dwell in the sukkah during these seven days. And there's um, things we call the lulav and etrog. An etrog, it almost looks like a lemon and it smells delicious. And the, a lulav is kind of a long stem. And you put them together in your hands and you say a certain blessing and then you literally shake it in every direction, connecting you to that idea uh, that God is present everywhere. And then one week after that, we have a holiday called Simchat Torah. If you know the word Torah. A simcha means happiness. And it's the time of year where we end the cycle of Torah reading. So we finish the last portion of Deuteronomy where Moses dies. And then we start the beginning of Genesis when God creates light. And the idea being that we are constantly on a cycle of Torah engagement and learning and improving. And that pretty much concludes the, that, the, <laughs> that season of holidays. And for most Christians, those four are not the ones we think of, right? Christians, when they think of Judaism, they think of Hanukkah and Passover. Um, But you're describing the high holidays, which most Christian listeners probably don't resonate with, um, many of which won't even realize that they're happening, that they're going on, or or that there is a place in Scripture where in, in our Scriptures, there are Scriptures too, we use them, we read them, we preach from them, that command these remembrances and these purposes um, and some of the symbols that we don't practice, we don't honor today, um, but most likely Jesus had in his habit 
many of these practices. They're not um, they're not post turn of century. They're pre uh, pre millennial. Oh, for sure. So for sure. yeah, and to well, and to your point, Joel. Um, you know, there's a practical component of this too, whereas these holidays are ones, like I said, the Torah says do not work, which of course has a different meaning than work does in modern parlance. Yeah, tell that to a rabbi um, during the high holidays. <laughs> right. But it, it means do not work in the same way Shabbat means do not work. And you're really supposed to be devoted to this introspection and prayer. And, you know, the fact is Yom Kippur lasts all day. So you you if you observe Yom Kippur, you can't go to work anyway. And so there is, especially in communities with smaller number of Jews where people aren't familiar with these holidays, there have been struggles of, you know, kids being let out of school or people being let out of work. It, um, you know, it, this year, I think, is actually the first year where I didn't get a call from a student at University of Georgia saying, you know, can you call this professor or write a letter on my behalf? And so... You know, I'd like to think people, you know, especially professors, you know, are try not to schedule tests on those days or are willing to work with students. They probably didn't get a um, Yom that, Kippur excuse. They just got a big COVID excuse that, that helped. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to be fair, so to speak, Passover is a major holiday sure. within Judaism. Sure. As a matter of fact, it's probably the most observed holiday in terms of, you know, the average American Jew, uh, if they're going to observe something, it will be Passover. But Passover is a home holiday. It's not a synagogue holiday. And Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur are the opposite. Yes, on Rosh Hashanah, you have a dinner with the apples and honey, but it is very much a communal Mm -hmm. prayer Mm -hmm. experience. You, You can't really celebrate Rosh Hashanah or Yom Kippur on your own in the way that you can some other holidays. And I imagine each one of these holidays means something in the grand exodus from slavery in Egypt through the wilderness towards promised land. Each one of these like has a a role to play in, in teaching your children, we were slaves in Egypt and God rescued us and is still with us today. I The Passover, obviously, right? That is the the last great trial. The booths, I imagine, are the tents that were needed to to house the folk as they were blessed to walk through wilderness and be cared for. Um, and the tent that God resided in, uh, pre-temple, pre-synagogue. God didn't need a temple. God's everywhere. So I'm God was quite happy in a movable tent. Um, I imagine that there are memories of all of those Torah stories in each of these holidays for you. For sure. And I mean, the Exodus is such a primal story for Jewish identity. I can't think of a service where the Exodus is not mentioned in some fashion. I mean, the blessing that we say over wine on Shabbat, which is an extended, it's not just praise to you, God, uh, creator of food of the vine, it's an extended a blessing, but it thanks God for freeing us from Egypt. And so that that is present, you know, in many ways. And, um, you know, obviously I'm condensing a lot of this for our 30 to 45 minute podcast. These services are usually two to three hours long. Um, but even the blowing of the shofar in Rosh Hashanah is bifurcated into different 
uh, sections of meaning. And so one is we recognize God's power. Another one is we recognize God's sovereignty. And those all have stories just associated with them um, from knowing Torah and, and following Judaism. I would, sim- I would imagine similarly to how there are those resonances in Christianity and every other religion. I mean, that's why we have the, the, these holidays. Yeah, and it's interesting. A lot of Christians also don't practice big, high holidays of Christianity that happen throughout the year. People think of Christmas and Easter, one, two, the end. There are others on our typical liturgical calendar, and they're big to those of us who are clergy and, and who design the the liturgical worship year around these uh, immovable tent posts um, and make sure we, we venture through those stories for a moment and repeat them every year. But um, most people beyond Christianity and a lot of people inside it do not think of the other holidays as things that are, they, they just shrug and go right by them. And, you know, it, we joke because there's so many holidays and such intensity right after each other that, you know, I mean, Sukkot and Simchat Torah especially are beautiful, joyous celebrations. I mean, they're they're almost the opposite side of the spectrum of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in terms of intensity and um, som- somberness, a word? So- solemnity. How do you? How do you yeah. Uh, so, of course. You're so good. Um, <laughs> and yet they, you know, in liberal congregations, they have lower attendance. And part of it, I, I, not even part of it, I think a lot of it is people are spiritually exhausted after Yom Kippur. And then, you know, this year Sukkot was three days after Yom Kippur. Um, and of course, there's COVID and Zoom, and that contributes also. But, uh, you know, I sometimes think if we moved Sukkot to, you know, February, which of course is not the harvest season, and it's a thought experiment, we're never doing that, but we might get more people to come. Harvest is very different now than it was, you know, in the Exodus times or Abram times. You, you, you could probably move it around if you needed to. <laughs> Tell some of my congregants that. <laughs> wow. So I, I imagine you you must feel spiritually exhausted after preparing and leading them as well. I, I more and it, you know I've been a rabbi fifteen years more this year than ever before, and that mm. includes when COVID started last year. Um, what is, For a what is that? How do reasons. you process that sense of spiritual exhaustion? Yeah, I mean, I, I think some of it is just the general malaise that so many of us have. And by us, I mean people. I don't mean clergy. Of this is still going on. We still have to be vigilant about masks and vaccines and who isn't vaccinated. And then as a parent, you know, you you, you don't have young children, but you, you certainly have that concern for your boys, right? I, you know, as a parent of a toddler, w- what decisions are we making in terms of who we're spending time with and where and who can be around our son? And and th- that's not even taking into consideration the different protocols at Temple and things. And so, you know, I, I my camp director at Camp Coleman had this expression of 
Sometimes you have to work to make it work. And the way I take that is so a lot of there's a lot of work that we have to do before we can do what I call the real work, right? So before I can do the liturgy and the sermon writing, I have to edit videos and do cues and figure out how long is the service going to be because of attention spans with people in masks in the sanctuary or people in their living room and Zoom. And so that contributed to the spiritual exhaustion. Um, we also had an odd year in that Yom Kippur was on, started Wednesday night. So there's the Wednesday night service, services all day Thursday. And then we have Shabbat on Friday. And, you know, my congregation was very kind. They understood that I wasn't chanting Torah, which I normally do that Friday. Instead of a formal sermon, I told a story, um, which I adopted that a friend of mine wrote, which is, it was as powerful as a sermon, but um, it was, it was a little bit of a, of a breath. And then, you know, I'll take a little vacation at some point in the fall. Uh, but, you know, everyone has that exhaustion. I'm not, you know, singling myself out on this. Um, but I, I, I do think it has been a particularly difficult time uh, for Jewish clergy this this time of year. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um and I think it's the same for Christian clergy. Uh, there's all kinds of conversations about uh, what was Easter going to be like, right? It was April. It was, and, and we were trying to imagine, okay, we're not going to be able to necessarily be able to do it the way we want, but it's Easter, and what will it look like? And and it didn't look like we hoped, but okay, okay, by the fall, right? Things always chill out over the summer, but then they come back strong in the fall, and and things haven't. Um, and if I listen to my other pastors or whatever, it, everywhere, whether they're in a, a, a historic church or a younger, as in like 20 or 30 year old church, whether they have an older congregation or a blended young and young to old congregation, they're, they're seeing it differently and they're gauging it as uh, kind of a COVID exhaustion in their people. Um, and while gathering together in our religious communities is a part of giving us hope and giving us energy and giving us courage to take the next step. There's another part that kind of says, yeah, I don't know how much longer, how much longer. Um, and I, you know, the cynical part of me kind of said the other day, year two of four, we're in COVID two, year two of four. Um, we're, we're, maybe halfway through some point where it feels almost like it once did a long time ago. But but football's happening. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. And the hospitals are full, too. Oh, are they? Yeah. I, I'm... That exhaustion, I you know, it's watching you go hustle through the high holidays. We had originally intended to take... A couple of weeks off, but you know, it it became an extra, and it became an extra, and and I just thought, all right, he's a dad, he's going through multiple high holidays, and he's doing all this in COVID. So, how do you plan? Which I this? appreciate, by the way. Yeah, how do you? Yeah, I mean, and and the truth is, you know, everybody knows that high holidays are a crazy time, and we you know we call it the you know rabbi's busy season. I mean, that's that's the deal. That's what it is. Um, that this was on top of that, yeah. and uh, and I don't say that. To complain, I just it's it just a reality. Um, 
And complaining is allowed, ways, especially if it's reality. Oh, sure, <laughs> sure. Um, you know, I, I, there were moments here and there during the services, during some quiet time where I was able to pray more so than I actually thought that I would have been, hmm. um, but less than in previous years, which I, I, you know, just from the nature of, okay, now I have to share my screen and turn on video number four and mute this microphone. Yeah. And yeah. Well, it's, I'm glad to be back with you. Um, we've kind of oh, pressed I'm pause thrilled. on our uh, the the tough text season two and and jumped into this. Is there? Um, but on, on that note, is there a a text that's associated with one of these high holidays that you find to be particularly tough and challenging for yeah, you and your people? And- yeah, I, I would say it's that prayer, Unatana Tokef, which we read, and I'm uh, going to get a translation, which we read on both Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. Um, the, you know, the, the thought, again, is God is so powerful that God decides who's going to live and who shall die. And, you know, if you we really, really think about what that means, that is tough and troubling and intense. And, you know, I'll just read some of this. Um, Who shall live and who shall die? Who shall reach the end of days and who shall not? Who shall perish by water and who by fire? Who by sword? Who by wild beast? Who by famine and who by thirst? And it goes on and on a little bit. And then the last line, but repentance, prayer, and righteousness avert the severe decree. Um, and I've given sermons in the past that basically allude to the fact that the severe decree is not God's punishment of, okay, I'm cutting forth this, I'm cutting short this person's life, but rather the severe decree is life itself, that we have pain and suffering in life. That's the decree. And us doing prayer, repentance, and charity, that that is a way of us recalibrating so that we can deal with those things. It's not, you know, a magical miracle from God to lengthen our days or not. Uh, But the text itself, you know, taken literally is hugely problematic. Mm. Yeah, I hear that. We're doing a a short series on the piece called The Lord's Prayer, um, which for Christians, a lot of Christian denominations think of it as the greatest prayer ever spoken and the essential prayer is the one you have to know and you have to say. Um, I'm making the case, based off of what it says in Matthew and Luke, that it's not the greatest prayer ever taught and it's not even Jesus's favorite prayer. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, y'all really suck at prayer. You have no clue how to pray, do you? Okay, (laughs) here are your training wheels prayer. Um, The basics. Uh, Now go try these things at home alone where nobody else will watch you and you won't be all nervous about what they're watching or hearing. Just go home and be yourself and start writing this training wheels prayer and see how it goes. And there's this line at the end that says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil is how most people say it. Um, And I retranslated that this week for the folk to say, 
it, it really doesn't say lead us, don't lead us into temptation. It says don't bring us into the hard parts of life. And then that second part, but deliver what us. What language is the is the original prayer in Greek? Unfortunately, I'm sure Jesus taught it in Aramaic, <laughs> right? But we only have Matthew's Greek version and Luke's Greek version, which don't agree with one another, by the way. So, of, of course, they it's are. from the Greek. Yes. So it, it's not really lead; it's more like bring. Don't bring us into the trials and the tough times and the hard parts of life. Not they're not temptations; they're just hard things. And then the other word, deliver us from evil, is really, but bring us out from the hard parts, the labors. And it, it's not necessarily evil. It's just hard. Um, mm. and, and, but we take, we take the hard parts of life and we call those temptations. And we take the hard parts of life and we call those evil. But it's just life. Like, hey, God, mm. do me a favor. Let me live a life without too many hard places. But we all know you, and we all know life. We're going to hit some hard places. So please don't bring me into too many of those hard places. But when you do, bring me out of them as well. And, and the prayer oh, is teaching us to think about the hard places as not curses. They aren't evil. They're not risks. They're just life and, and how to go into them graciously. You know, we take a big breath, we go underwater, <laughs> we swim as hard as mm-hmm. we can, we hope we get back to the surface. Um, and it reminds me of that, that struggle in the, in the text you're talking about there. For sure. And, and as a bit of an aside, I remember now 20 years ago, um, as we recently commemorated you know, 9-11, the, the 20, 20th year, um, uh, re- the high holidays were like three, it was that week. I mean, yeah. they, they were just after 9-11. Yeah. And I remember reading Unatana Tokef and like the, tearing up as I was leading it for my congregation. Yeah. With, you know, with this kind of cognitive dissonance of these innocent people who just died you know, by fire and water, you know, metaphorically. Yes, and wild beasts, um, yes. Yep. That hurts. Um, I'm I'm still rattled each year um, when that season comes around, not just because, you know, how dare somebody on the planet attack our country, um, but just the sign of the the evil and the violence that goes and comes, that is sent and that comes home. That is yep. done beyond our vision and then is bounced back into our vision. Um, and, and I just keep waiting for the cycle to end and for the high holidays to, to have way more moments where we laugh than where we say words of a prayer that bring tears to our eyes. Yep. That's beautifully said. Well, welcome so, back, religion fans. We're so glad to have you, and glad uh, glad you came up for air, Rabbi Linder. <laughs> and th- and uh, first to you, Joel, a huge thank you for your patience and understanding, but also 
uh, to our listeners as well. <laughs> I'll get you back at Advent Christmas Epiphany. Oh, I'm sure you will, my friend. <laughs> I'm sure you will. Or Lent, Holy Week, Easter, um, Ascension, Pentecost. And, and I say all those yeah. high holy days of Christianity, and a lot of Christians are going, what are those? I've never heard of those. <laughs> <laughs> so when it, when, we'll do an episode like this uh, for the, the Christian ones that aren't as well known. Nice. I, I have no clue what text we'll be working on next week. I didn't even open the doc knowing that we were doing these high holiday wrap-ups. But next week, we'll be back in our season two effort of finding tough texts and trying to figure out how we can find some good and some hope through them anyway. So uh, absolutely, keep it real, y'all. All right. You want to one, two, three it? Okie dokie. One. one. Two, three. I didn't do that right. Okay, let's do it again. One, One, two, two, three. Wait, sorry. Is it on three? We clap on three, right? It's been so long. We don't even remember. I don't remember. I think we clap on on three. three. Okay. Got it. Let's clap on three. Yeah. One, two, three. I didn't even hear you. I didn't even hear you say one or two. (laughs) What the hell? Last time. One, two. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today. And invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realigionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.